Brothers and sisters, you are tuned in to the worship service of the Greater Little Zion Baptist Church. I'm Pastor Murphy, and we welcome you to this wonderful worship experience. Sit back now and enjoy our music ministry as they will come and share with you from the spoken word by way of song, and I'll come back and share with you in the preaching of God's word. Be blessed as the word of God blesses your spirit.
Zion. This is third Sunday, our communion Sunday, but it is also our children's moment. If you would, gather all your children and gather around the virtual space so we can share in the word of God. Today, we want to use as a teaching object something that all of our children probably are using. And I probably, maybe I should correct that. Maybe they don't use it as often as they did when I was a little boy when we went to school, but I think they use it every now and then. There is something in my hand. And I would say to my children, do you know what that is? That is called a pencil. And that pencil has a great deal of potential. That means it can do a lot of things. And listen, if I had a piece of paper, I could take this pencil and draw circles, draw squares, draw lines. I can take this pencil and write names, scribble. I can do a lot of things with this pencil. Except the way that it is right now, that's not quite possible. And that's because what I need to use to be able to make it successful with a piece of paper is hidden on the inside. And the only way I can get that out is to do what? That's right, sharpen the pencil. And there's a lot of ways we can sharpen a pencil. We can have a small pencil sharpener in our hands and we put it in there and we just turn the pencil around and eventually it starts sharpening the pencil. We can also have the kind of pencil sharpener you may have in your school where it's attached to a desk or a particular space in the classroom. You go there, stick the pencil in, and you turn the crank. And what happens is there are two small mechanisms on the inside of the pencil sharpener and they will begin to sharpen this pencil. Or, we may have the pencil sharpener that's called electric. It plugs into the wall, and all you have to do is stick this pencil in that little hole, and you can hear the mechanisms inside the pencil sharpener starting to sharpen the pencil. And once it does that, the lead is exposed. Now, the lead is the potential in this pencil. See, a pencil is made of wood. And on the inside of this wood is some lead. But this wood is a protective mechanism. It protects what's on the inside because what's on the inside is tremendously valuable. And so once I sharpen this, I can write anything, draw anything. But guess what? I can do it for a while and then what will happen to the pencil? It will get dull. What will I have to do to make it back where it was to be successful? I have to sharpen it again. I wanted to use this as a lesson for you so that you'll know that even though you may be in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, all the way up to high school and even into your adulthood, as people of God, we are like this pencil. The outer part of our bodies is the shell, but inside of us is what God's great potential is that he's placed on the inside of us. And God has to sharpen us in order for that great potential to come out. That's what God is doing to you while you go to school every day, whether it's in the physical space or by virtue, God is using your teacher to sharpen you. And as you keep going through your first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, all the way up to college, you are sharpening yourself so that one day you can demonstrate for the world the great potential you have in the inside. So here's my lesson, remember, as iron sharpens iron, so another man sharpens his friend. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. That's what God is doing in your life 
while you're going to school every day. So remember, even when your teacher gives you a lot of work to do, they're just sharpening you so that you can be the great potential pencil in life that you were meant to be. Amen? All right. Make sure you sharpen your pencil for school.
still get your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to read verses 19 through 24. 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. As we come to the end of this third chapter, we are progressing toward a fuller understanding of the one major theme in which John lifts up in this book, and that is the theme of love. 1 John chapter 3, let's begin reading at verse 19. We shall know by this that we are of the truth and shall assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And we know by this that he abides in us by the spirit which he has given us. I want to continue on that theme in which we presented and started to develop on last Sunday, dealing with the question, where is the love part two? Where is the love part two? Remember, we borrowed that theme from the song written by Black Eyed Peas. That's contemporary hip-hop, R&B, rock many kinds of genres they use, group. Um, but they wrote this song, rewrote it differently than what we know from Roberta Flack and Donnie Hathaway. It's not a love song. This is a song about social justice. This is a song about appreciating humanity. And this is a question raised after observation of a context that is contrary to what it proclaims. That question became, where is the love? Let's take a look at another lyric in that song in which I want to build our argument on as it aligns itself with what John says here in verses 19 through 24. Here's what it says. It just ain't the same, always unchanged. New days are strange. Is the world insane? If love and peace is so strong, why are there pieces of love that don't belong? Nations dropping bombs, chemical gases filling lungs of little ones. With the ongoing suffering as the youth die young. So ask yourself, is the loving really gone? So I can ask myself, really, what is going wrong? In this world that we live in, people keep on giving in, making wrong decisions, only visions of them divides or dividends, not respecting each other, deny thy brother. A war is going on, but the reasons uncover. The truth is kept secret. It's swept under the rug. If you never know truth, then you never know love. I want to reiterate that last sentence. The truth is kept secret. It's swept under the rug. If you never know truth, then you never know love. Where's the love? This past weekend in Chicago, particularly on the south side, some 53 people were shot. 10 ended in fatalities. Police note that they have made some 52 gun-related arrests in this past weekend alone. Since the beginning of the year, they have seized some 7,470 guns. And on this past weekend alone, they seized another 87 firearms to add to that collection. 
They also arrested 59 individuals who were connected with violent crimes, whether that be VI robbery, VI assault. They were crimes committed toward another. They were violent crimes, which typically involved a weapon. And worse is children caught in the crossfire who end up likewise losing their lives because we have forgotten or we have no knowledge of this concept, this practicing pathology called love. Whenever you listen to such experience taking place in a single weekend, you've got to raise the same question, where is the love? Because if love is a matter of the heart, we certainly can't suggest any less of the practice of hatred or prejudice. We not only are experiencing opposition and oppression from the outside, but as a community of people, we are likewise experiencing such pathologies from our own selves in the inside. The late Howard Thurman provided what I consider to be a telling description of this idea of hatred in his book, Jesus and the Disinherited. He highlights what happens to us as human beings when we really begin to interact and engage this idea of hatred. Here's what he says. First, hatred includes contact without fellowship which simply means that we don't really get to know the person to whom perhaps we may have the difference, but we end up exercising some kind of anger that could lead to a tragic end. That leads to what he calls unsympathetic understanding. Unsympathetic understanding merely means that whomever we see or whomever we are experiencing that is at odds with us, we don't have the sympathy in our hearts to actually find a workable and reasonable solution that spares both life. He says that generates what he calls ill will. Ill will means that we begin to have in our own perception about everyone who doesn't agree with us or who doesn't concur with our own ideology, we end up having ill will toward them, which finally gives rise to what he calls hatred. It's hatred walking. And one can suggest that prejudice is not a matter of a mere thought. It's a matter of a thought that eventually connects to the heart which causes it to become a walking pathology in a person's life. I raise that point because that's the point that they are raising in the lyric of the song, Where is the Love? They're wondering why do we exercise such hatred and where is it coming from? Listen to what they say. If we knew truth, we would be different, but they raise the issue when the truth is kept secret and it's swept under the rug, if you never know it, then you'll never know what it means to love. Or in that case, what it means to be loved. There is this rise, I believe, of continuous, systemic, and systematic anticipation as well as effort to create self-hate among us as a people. I'm really troubled by the fact that we really believe that falsely, in a way, assuming that sitting around the table and discussing matters of race and singing together and preaching together, exchanging pulpits will transform this dreadful disease in our hearts called white supremacy. Not a moment of hugging and not a moment of eating together and no ecumenical in interaction will ever end that kind of ideology. Because white supremacy is about anthropology. It's about how do we understand what it means to be human. 
It's a manufactured and maintenance of systems and structures that's intended for the quote unquote superiority of one particular people. It's troubling to me because when you look at the context of others who evolved, who are involved in that system, it encourages assimilation while avoiding integration, while in the process of silencing, or should I say in the process of silently driving mechanisms of a self-hate, encouraging of the decision that keeps us moving merely in circles, really contending that we're never getting anywhere and even hating the person that we are. It also encourages self-defeat, a decision that suggests that we will never, ever gain what is described as equality. It encourages what's called self-annihilation, the anger that wails within us and that reaches to a point of killing as a resolution. Then, of course, self-denial. Self-denial because whenever a person is disconnected from their history, then they certainly cannot discover what they were meant to be in the present nor ever have any anticipation of what a future might look like. But the gospel, gospel has a more fulfilling, equitable system because it tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love because he first Love us. Christians, we love because God loved us, and in spite of who we are, we still experience the wonderful, transforming power of God. In that case, the truth was not swept under the rug. We found out what it meant to have the love of God and what it means to be involved in that, and that changed our lives forever. We learned last week that love is more than the mere superficial. It's more than mere words. We learn that in order for love to be experienced by everyone that we come in contact with, but particularly in this Christian circle, love has to be deposited. That's what we found out in the verses last week of verse 14 through 15. Love has to be deposited on the inside of you. Love also has to be deliberate. Verse 16, there has to be this deliberate intentionality on your part to love because Christ first loved me. And then we say love has to be displayed. It's got to be shown because, again, if you look at the text and what it says to us in verse 18, that we can't love just in word and with the tongue, but it has to be in deed and in truth. There's a calling in this text for us to remember that love cannot be just a mere wording and the mere etching and massaging of one's emotion, but there has to be a connection, the suggestion that love is deep and it comes from a certain space in the human being. That's why verse 18 serves as a transitional and defining moment. It's different from what we read in verse 11 and 12. Verse 11 and 12 talks about how the message that we have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. And then it says, not as Cain, who was the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he kill him? I think that's quite interesting as it is there imparted in the text, that, that preeminent question, for what reason does he kill him? Then, of course, John says, because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. That's something that we have to deal with because in that spirit, that episode depicts what happens when the spirit of anger within us replaces the spirit of another. Love is life, is liberty, it's lifting. And John says repeatedly in verses 14 through 18 that you have to abide. 
live, be connected in Christ, in Jesus, to extend this kind of love. But now, he shifts to two primary objective lessons in verses 19 through 24. He talks about the issue of the heart, and then he talks about the issue of obedience. See, he makes clear in the text that you can't say that you love God unless your heart has been transformed. And then once that heart has been transformed, there is then the anointing, the indwelling, the abiding of the Spirit of God that encourages us to follow through on the commandments of God. That's what he says repeatedly in verse 19 through 24. It's a heart issue and it's a commandment issue. We talk about what's the resolution of racism, of segregation, what's the issue of discrimination. It's a heart issue and a commandment issue. It's a heart issue because when one begins to appreciate how God first loved us, it's not a problem to love others. You couldn't tolerate the act of discrimination. There has to be something vocalized in terms of your love. Remember what verse 18 says, not just in word and tongue, but in word and deed and truth. Got to do something. Love is action. It involves reaching out. And so that's why we can't help but to entertain these lyrics from the voices of the Black Eyed Peas as it connects to this text of 1 John. Because they're trying to figure out what has gone wrong in the heart of humanity where we have swept truth under the rug. We've allowed the righteousness of God and the practice of humanity to be buried by our own greed. L listen to the text. Listen to what the song further says. People killing, people dying. That's what I just read for you in Chicago this past weekend. People killing, people dying. One person who's been arrested, one person who becomes angry in a party open fires and kills four or five people, injuring several others, people killing and people dying. Children hurt and you hear them crying. It escapes my memory now, the particularity, but I read also about a child who was killed in the crossfire this past weekend, just sitting in the car with a relative and someone drove up and started shooting child died and they got to the hospital children hurt and you hear them crying it's as if you could hear them in the words of God back in Genesis 4 as he listened as the writer says regarding the blood of Abel that's crying out from the ground we can hear these children crying what about me why didn't I get a chance to live a full life? Why did you hurt me? You even never knew me. We got a chaotic context in our existence. Then the lyric says, can you practice what you preach? And would you turn the other cheek? Listen to what it says. Father, Father, help us. Send us some guidance from above, from above, cause people got me, got me questioning. Where is the love? And John spends an entire chapter, at least almost an entire chapter, telling us about what love can do: divine love, agape love. And he says to us in verse nineteen that we shall know if we understand in verse 18 that love is more than just word or tongue, but it's deed and truth. 
He says to us in verse 19, we shall know by this that we are of truth when we're loving. We are of truth and shall assure our heart before him. 20, in whatever our heart condemns us for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. That's the reason why I'm posing an indictment against the church of Jesus Christ, how we are silent when it comes to this issue of racism, when it comes to this issue of discrimination. We are silent. We are not vocal, nor are we active in demanding justice because in the words of Amos, we are at ease in Zion. We're living a life in which our ancestors only dreamed of. And as a result, what happened to the Old Testament saints, the Israelites, they became mesmerized by their own prosperity. And they ended up being judged by God in exile of 70 years in Babylon because they forgot from whom all blessings flow. And I want to declare to you today that a part of our problem is we don't have the backbone to stand because we've forgotten from whom all blessings flow. And my white brothers and sisters, you, you refuse to cry out as a prophetic voice encourage us to do because you don't want to lose your easiness in Zion. You want to remain in your space of comfort, in your space of prosperity, and you want to continue to benefit from the disparities and from the marginalizations and the oppression that you know is the fuel that gives you the life that you have. And John tells us when you know God and when God's love is active in your heart, it just cannot happen that way. There is a condemnation when I know that evil is present and I know I need to say a word in reference to that. In fact, John will later tell us in chapter 5, for me to know that my brother is wrong and not tell him is sin unto me. That's the reason why I'm sounding the alarm. In the words of Ezekiel, I tell you that something is going to happen. Judgment is coming. I must warn you lest your own blood be required upon my hands. And I will not permit that to happen. So John says, when you have a conscience, when your heart is condemned, yes, God is greater than your heart, but God is that because there's something in you, the Holy Spirit, that inspires you to follow through on his command. That's what he says in verse 22. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. In other words, John says, when you know you're walking in truth, you have every right to come boldly before the throne of grace and believe God will be a rewarder to those who diligently seek him. When you know you're walking in truth and in love, you're not afraid to be used as the instrument to bring the guidance from above and answer that question, where is the love? But then John says, maybe our issue of our heart problem is because we've never been really born again. Look what he said in verse 23. This is the commandment that we believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, his son, and love one another just as he commanded us. No doubt John's reflecting back once again to John 16, 17, and 18 of his gospel as Jesus told them, make sure you love one another. By this love, all men will know that you are my disciples because they can see that you love one another. If we are to be evangelists to the world, if God has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that's what Paul says in his writing to the Corinthians. If that is the case, what do they see? They certainly don't see reconciliation among us. And in fact, how could we even attempt to reconcile when we can't even get along with one another? How are you going to reconcile a world when we have yet to reconcile ourselves? 
And so what John tells me in this text, particularly in verse 24, is that when we keep the commandments of God and we stay in him, we do that because the Holy Spirit has been given unto us. See, this, this is not a complicated text, the exegete. We don't have to, I don't have to spend time giving you a whole lot. It's simple. When you love God, you do the right thing. So John gives us four directives, four directives, four points to make this point clear. Truth and love, John says, does something regarding the need of a people. First thing it does is that it recognizes the need. That's really what verse 19 is about. It recognizes the need because the need touches the heart. And then those heart resonate with those who can't speak for themselves, those who don't have a voice, those who are marginalized, those who are disenfranchised. It speaks for them to whom much is given, much is required. John says when you love the Lord and you recognize there's a need, you do something about it. Then there's a second thing he says. Not only do you recognize the need, but you realize the need. Really what John is saying is once you know that there's a need, John says I need for you to walk down there and be right on the ground where the need is. In the words of Ezekiel again, I sat where the people sit. In pain, in poverty, in agony, in death. And those who are being misaligned and who are under the auspices of what we call a state-sanctioned killing, you come and realize the need. that They need a voice. John says you recognize the need Realize the need, verse 20 and 21, because the need is greatly condemning us in the heart. And even though our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. I think that's an interesting statement, but John is pushing for more. Pushing that once you realize the need, once you recognize the need, then I need for you to relate to the need. See what he says in verse 22? He says, we have confidence in God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Pleasing in his sight, says the gospel, is that you take care of those who don't have, those who stand in need of hunger. In fact, of food. In fact, in the Old Testament, when you were gleaning your fields, you were told not to, to harvest all of your gatherings, but leave some for those who are poor and cannot fend for themselves. Read the book of Amos. You'll find where God is extremely angry at Israel because they are not only exploiting those who are poor and those who don't have a voice, but they are also doing so with a sense of satisfaction and dignity. And here John says, when you come to know God's love, you relate to that pain. But then there's a final thing. And in that relating, you got to go further. And that's what John says, you respond. You respond to the need and we do that says verse 24 because of the Holy Spirit he is the one who encourages us to step out of our comfort zone walk down to the space where trouble resides that's what God did in Jesus he walks down through 40 and two generations he arrives in a stable in Bethlehem. He fast forwards and grows up to be a boy and 
He begins his ministry around the age of 12 and he starts speaking prophetically before the doctors and lawyers in the temple. And then he makes his way through the streets of Jerusalem. He brings love in both deed as well as truth. That's what kept him in so much trouble, Jesus, because he spoke truth, but then he did it. He did the deed that no one else would do. And the religious, those who are of the religious right, he would bring embarrassment to them because they failed to exercise both love and truth. They, they, they couldn't hear, nor could they feel the lyric of the black eyed peas. So listen to what happens. When love and truth is real, it's in the streets and not in the comfortable space of the suites. It provides street lights and it doesn't hang around in the sanctuary lights. That's what Jesus did. He went in the streets and he took his journey to Pilate's judgment hall. He comes out and ends up traveling up what's called the Via de la Rosa all the way up to a space outside the city gates called Calvary. What was he doing? Demonstrating truth and love situated, suspended between heaven and earth. He changes the cosmos as he's hanging on the cross. And yet, he does that without ever coming down. Power to call legions of angels, but never the son. Says John, he gave his life willingly that we might have a right to walk in victory. That's what this is all about. Where is the love? I've got to look. I've got to look to Calvary. Because that's the greatest example that I can think of that love is sacrificial. That's what God did in Christ. He brought it all onto him. Listen to what the lyric further says and then I'm done. Black Eyed Peas says, I feel the weight of the world on my shoulders as I'm getting older. You people are getting colder. Most of us only care about making money. Selfishness got us flowing or following in the wrong direction. Wrong information always shown by the media. Negative images, it's the main criteria. Infecting the young minds faster than bacteria. Kids want to act like what they see in the cinema. Yo, whatever happened to the values of humanity? whatever happened to the fairness in equality. Instead, in spreading love, we're spreading animosity, lack of understanding, leading lives away from unity. That's the reason why sometimes I'm feeling under. That's the reason why sometimes I'm feeling down. Gotta keep my faith alive till love is found. Now, ask yourself, Sing with me. We only got one world. That's all we got. And something's wrong with it. Where is the love? Where is the love? When you know love, you recognize it. You recognize the need of others. When you know love and truth, you realize the need of others no love and truth, you relate to the need of others and you respond to the need of others. That's what John is telling his community. That community that has to understand the importance of loving one another as Christ has loved you. Let us pray. Lord, into thy hands we give this moment, this consecrated moment of preaching. Pray now that as we leave this space in this virtual moment that your word have spoken life unto someone today. May that person who is yearning for the love and has never met your son Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, maybe today this is the beginning 
of a new life for them. If that be the case, Lord, we rejoice as the angels do. Maybe also, Lord, this word may touch somewhere in this country where we'll begin to have an honest dialogue about where is the love. Maybe then we can see some pathway to the healing of a nation. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our purpose is, of course, to lead everyone to a personal relationship, a saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. That has been your journey today. We invite you to please receive him as Lord and Savior. Your life will never be the same. If you've made that decision, we ask if you would contact our church. Give us a call and let us know on this day I made a decision to trust Christ. And as a result, I am rejoicing. We're going to rejoice with you because we would love to be your church family. And we would love to embrace you as a part of this family as well. We also encourage those of you, if you would, who are now about ready to do as we typically do, take out your electronic device. If you're going to text your tithes and offerings, you know how to do that. If you're going to go to our website and use our e-giving, please do so as well. Or if you decide to mail in your tithes and offerings, we receive them with thanksgiving as well. We thank you always for your support. We are highly appreciative of the fact that you make it possible for us to continue to do ministry. And so we give God glory and thank you for your continuous support, praying that you will always help us accomplish what we believe God wants us to do. Hey, we also want to let you know that we're continually encouraging you to support our food drive, our food effort as we're attempting to make sure that we try to have some outreach to minister to those who stand in need. At least we can provide some means of sustenance. So when you give your tithes and offering, if you would give an extra $10, we certainly would appreciate that. That would enable us to buy gift cards and purchase food and do whatever we have to do to make sure that we can provide a bag of provision for someone who stands in need. We give God glory today for you, and we rejoice and thank you for our time we had to spend together today. Now let's gather our hearts and minds together as we come around the Lord's table to break bread in this moment of Holy As we gather around the table of our Lord, again, we invite you to make sure you bring your elements with you. We consider that Thursday evening in which our Lord gathered with his disciples and they were there in that upper room. And he began to share with them how the journey would go from that day forward. And then in that moment, the Bible says he took bread and he looked into heaven and gave thanks for it. And then he gave it to his disciples as they did eat together. Let us eat together in this virtual moment. Likewise, it says that he took that cup, looked unto heaven, and then he reminded the disciples that in that cup was his New Testament, was the New Testament in which his blood would be shed, and that he would not drink again anew until he enters into his Father's kingdom. So he looked unto heaven and gave thanks, and then he gave it to his disciples. As they drink together, let us drink together. And when they had finished, they sung a hymn and went out into the Mount of Olives. Let's leave this place, this virtual space, rejoicing as we've had a chance to listen to the preached word as well as to share in this special moment of Holy Communion. We pray that God will continue to bless your life and that God will continue to use you for his glory. And I want to encourage you to look unto the hills from which comes your help and always know that the best is yet to come. I love you, we love you, and thank God he loves you always. In Jesus' name, amen. I know you can. I 
Don't know you can 